All right, welcome back to Bible Time, Colossians um, 2.20. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, please illuminate your word. Please help us to understand it and to be obedient to it as we learn from it. Please bless this message today, Lord God, from your word. Lord, I have nothing to offer these people, but you have everything, Lord God. You have eternal life and all understanding and wisdom and knowledge and all the treasures of the righteousness and understanding the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Father, that you told us about in um, Colossians 2 3 and I thank you for that father the riches of the full assurance of understanding that's what we ask you to give us today in Jesus name amen now the riches of the full assurance of understanding comes through Christ and Colossians 2 Colossians 2 is actually a extremely powerful chapter dealing with the root causes for our departure from Christ and our departure from a following of Christ We've been looking at it in detail. We've nearly finished out this chapter. We just read the last four verses of chapter 2. We're going to um, kind of just um, graze on through into chapter 3 today and pick up more of an overview look at this than we have been. We've been dialed into a really close view. We're going to take a few steps back and look at a broader view, in other words, of more Scripture. Beware of this broad-mindedness. The broader view that has nothing to do with taking in a bunch of different opinions, and the world wants to tell you that, um, well, they have the word uh, erudition or something like that. They want you to be erudite, and what that basically means is to have a very broad sampling of knowledge. They want you to go to many different sources, and they think that the more books you read, the more religions you study after, the more authors you can find, the more information you can gather, the more of a likelihood you'll have of getting the truth, and nothing could be further from the truth. That's like somebody who's trying to find the Madison Square Garden in New York City, and so they get a map of every city in the nation and study all the maps before they go walk down the street trying to find Madison Square Garden. A map of Seattle is not going to get you to Madison Square Garden. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. There's Madison Square Garden is in New York City. You need a map of New York City to get to Madison Square Garden. Now, the people of this world think, well, if you just study all the maps of the world, you'll surely get there. And they have this assumption that all roads re lead to Rome kind of assumption with religion. That as long as you believe something, you're going to be all right. And as long as you check out all the opinions, you're likely to find center. And there's a, there's a, say, there's a thought process that goes out there. That if you look at, if you listen to everybody's point of view and find the middle ground, then you have likely found truth. And that's absolutely the furthest thing from the truth because 99.999% of people are wrong. The only people that are right about anything are the people that agree with God. And if they agree with God, they're right. And then you don't need a middle point from their perspective. You need their perspective. And where they disagree with God, they're wrong. And where they agree with God, they're right. There is a real black and white right and a real black and white wrong. Now here, And here's where people get really tangled up. You, you see, what happens is you start to think, well, this guy over here, he has his wife wear a head covering. He says he's a Christian. And this guy over here, he, he wears 
uh, a straw hat everywhere he goes, and he's a Christian. This guy over here, he shaves his beard a certain way, and that one doesn't. And this one over here, he likes to have a special Passover observance at his house, and this one doesn't. And we have all these different ideas and thoughts. And this one celebrates Lent, and that one doesn't. And so if we, we think that if we just look at all these different people's perspectives, we'll get closer to the truth. And the reality is we're not looking at Christ. The Bible says here in Colossians 2 that in Christ are all riches of assurance of understanding, that in Christ in him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It is in Christ that you find wisdom. It is in Christ that you find knowledge, not in man. The idea of looking to man for wisdom is a satanic idea that has been around since the Garden of Eden. And it was there whenever Satan told Eve, Yea, hath God said, you can't really trust God's word. You need to look beyond God's word. You need to go into all the other areas of knowledge in order to find truth. Yea, hath God said, does God's word really mean what it says? Can you really trust it? Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman saw that the tree was good to be eaten, desirable to make her wise. She took of the fruit and did eat, and her eyes were open. And ever since that day, man has looked everywhere but to God's word for truth. And I'm here to tell you today, there is nowhere but God's word that you will find God's truth. It says here, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and that is in Christ. Now, Christ is the living word, and Christ is the written word. The written word is the expression of who Christ is. You cannot take the written away from the living any more than you can take the living away from the written. And if you do either, you are going to fall on the rocks, you're going to go sideways, you're going to be uh, broken up, you're going to stray from the faith. Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and the Word became flesh. The Word of God was the Word of God before He was the flesh of God. But somehow we've got this idea in modern Christianity. Pay attention here. There's an idea going around that you can follow the flesh of Christ without following the Word of Christ. And that's absolutely ludicrous and preposterous because the flesh of Christ is nothing but the incarnation and embodiment of the Word of Christ. If Christ was not speaking the very word of God, then he was not God. And if he is not God, then he should not be worshipped. As a friend told me just this morning, and he's right, the Jews would have been right to stone Jesus if he was not God. They would have been right to crucify him because if he was not God and yet claimed to be God, and he did claim to be God and he is God, but if he was, is not God, then they would have been right to kill him as a false prophet. Jesus Christ is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. How do you behold the glory of Christ today? It is through the Word of God that you can behold the glory of God. Now, if you don't have the Word of God, then you cannot behold the glory of God. And there are many different Bibles out there today that contain some of the words of God that have been mixed with the words of men and the doctrines of men that are mentioned here in verse 22 of Colossians, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments 
and doctors, doctrines of men. There are many false Bibles. Most people will not deny that there are false Bibles. Most people who call themselves Christians will say, yeah, that Jehovah's Witness Bible is false. The Mormon Bible is false. The Muslim Bible is false. Most so-called Christians will. And most of them will shake their heads at somebody extreme enough to say that you can find God in the Koran and in the works of Buddha and, Confuci and Con Mr. Confusing, old Confucius over there in China. And they want to try and say that you can find God in all these things. And they've gone off such a deep end. Your average professing Christian would probably shake their head at them saying you can't do that. But then we bring in all these Bibles that say all kinds of different things, full of the doctrines and commandments of men, and say, well, you, each one is equally good. So you won't argue that there's false Bibles, but you will argue that there's no true Bible. Whose side are you on? I'm going to ask you today, whose side is someone on if they're going to argue that there are that there are false Bibles, but there isn't a true Bible? Whose side are they on? What do you think? Who are they working for? They're working for Satan. They're spreading confusion. They're spreading doubt. They're spreading lies. God Almighty promised to preserve his word from this generation forever. Jesus Christ said that not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled and all has not been fulfilled. Now, I know there's a whole sect of Christians, so-called Christians out there that think that everything's fulfilled and we're living in the millennial reign and all that. I'm sorry if that's you. You missed the boat. You got so smart, just like Romans says, you became professing yourself to be wise, you became as fools. You have turned the word of God upside down to your destruction. There's absolutely no foundation or evidence for that kind of a belief. The things that Jesus prophesied about have not all come to pass. There's much left to come to pass in the word of God. And until it's all come to pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass away from the law. You want to argue and say, well, you're not going to need a Bible in heaven, so the word of the Lord is, well, you're way off the deep end now. We don't even need to go there. When we get to heaven, we'll figure out about all that. But right now, all things are not fulfilled, and not one jot or one tittle shall pass away from the law till all things be fulfilled. In Christ, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the Word. The Word became flesh. We studied here in chapter 2 about how men will beguile you with enticing words. And he told them, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit. Now Paul is speaking, but Jesus Christ is speaking through Paul. And there in verse 5 of chapter 2, again, we're getting a, we're going we're going to try and get an overview look of these verses that we've been studying in detail and of the next verses and see how they all tie together. And here in verse 5, think about the fact that Jesus Christ is speaking through Paul. And so it's Jesus Christ who says here, Paul spoke to the church at Colossae and said, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. At the same time, Jesus Christ says to the believer through the apostle Paul, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet... Am I with you in the spirit? So while Paul said this to the church at Colossae, Jesus Christ is saying it to his church today. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. The Bible talks about how um, he sent forth the spirit of his son. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. He's with us today in spirit. He said, it is um, profitable for you that I go away. For if I go, I will send the comforter unto you who is the Holy Spirit. So he says here, beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And it really is that simple. We studied that out. I encourage you, if you need to, to go back 
and look at that about how we studied the direct relationship between a walk in faith, a, vi- a walk in the spirit, a victorious Christian life, and the way that God saves a man. He wants us to be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiment of the world, and not after Christ. So the great idea that he's bringing across is that you can, you can be spoiled. Your walk in the Lord can be spoiled. Your production, your productivity for Christ can be spoiled. And there's so many ways that that can happen. We study this out. Now he says, In Christ, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and powers. And we um, go down here to verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. So let's just look at this in the context real quickly. The head, Jesus Christ, is in whom we have all, we dwell, in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily is the head, Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ comes all the nourishment that is ministered to the church, knit together and increasing with the increase of God. So Jesus Christ is the word. Jesus Christ is the head. Jesus Christ is that in which we are to be rooted, established in the faith, and as we have been taught. How can you be taught Christ apart from his word? If you have been taught Christ apart from his word, you've gotten the wrong Christ. You must have the word of God to get the Christ of God because Christ is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God in John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father. Now this Jesus Christ is that through which we get nourishment. Peter says that when we're born again, we're born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And he says that as newborn babes, here we are born again as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So there is that nourishment. Now today, you want nourishment, and we all want nourishment. Whenever you start running out of nourishment, you start having a lot of problems. Who knows some problems that you have when you don't have nourishment? What's the first thing you feel? Hungry. Some of you didn't even know what nourishment was. Nourishment is the feeding of your body, those things that it needs to move and to live. And whenever you get hungry and you don't get any nourishment, what happens next? You get thirsty, so you're hungry and thirsty, and you still don't get any nourishment. What do you? What happens now? You can get upset. You get tired. You get weak. You start to feel badly, and you'll start to make stupid decisions, and you'll probably start putting things in your mouth you would have never put in your mouth before because you're so hungry. We've all heard stories about somebody that gets trapped somewhere or lost somewhere and they eat a rat because they just feel like they're going to starve to death and they eat that rat and they go on eating the rat. How many of you today want rat for lunch? How about a big old rat burrito? We'll just stuff it right in with its tail hanging out the bottom and you can chomp down and start on the nose and work your way down. I can tell by your faces that doesn't sound like it would go over too good. But I'm here to tell you, if you got hungry enough, you would eat a rat. 
and you would be happy for it. I hope you never get that hungry, and I hope I never get that hungry in my life. That is not a pleasant thought. But if you get without nourishment, you will eat anything. When you start to starve, you'll eat anything that looks like it might give you nourishment. When Benedict Arnold, during the Revolutionary War in America, led a, a group of soldiers north into Quebec to take Canada from the English, which Canada at the time was not a huge nation. It was a tiny little nation, and so was America. Just, just a coastal nation was all it was. So Benedict Arnold led soldiers up there to take it. They ran out of food, and they were out in the wilderness, and they were starving to death, and some of the men boiled their shoes and drank the broth from the leather because their shoes had been made out of animal skins, leather. And some of the men even chewed on their shoes and swallowed their shoes. They were so hungry. And some of them even died from upset stomachs from eating things they shouldn't have eaten. They got without nourishment, and they needed nourishment. The Bible says here that these that beguile you do not hold the head from which all the body by joints and bands having nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Now you can increase without the increase of God. You can get a nourishment from another source than Jesus Christ. And what he's warning you is that you might try to do that. The more hungry you get in your faith, looking for truth, looking for something to satisfy your soul, desperate for help, and tr you'll start turning to anything. Oh, there's a dead rat. Maybe I'll try that. There's a snake. I wonder what it tastes like. And pretty soon you'll eat anything because you're starving to death. And that is how this world is. That's the condition that we find this world in. So people will turn on the radio and they'll listen to any crackpot that comes on and opens any kind of spiritual book and tries to give them some kind of spiritual hope because they are not under the head and they are not receiving nourishment and therefore they are not increasing with the increase of God. They've left the authority of Jesus Christ and therefore they have a starvation going on and their starvation is leading them into increasing series of perverse ideas and doctrines of devils and they don't even know it because they're starving to death so they're just eating whatever they can eat and if you walk up to them and they're in the middle of their rat dinner of confucius and they're all confused and they're trying to live on confucius or they're trying to live on some of these other gurus and men of the world they're trying to live on these false teachers and prophets and you try to offer them the word of god a lot of times you come in and offer them a full ribeye steak of the word of God. They can't appreciate it. They're desperate for food. They're already eating something. It's no good, but it's what they're used to. It's what they're used to nourishing themselves with. And they can't tell the good food from the bad because they're used to a diet of rat. And that's the situation that this world is in. Now, somebody who's in this condition who has been starving, who has not been feeding on the word of God, is susceptible to start eating rat too. They're susceptible to be beguiled with enticing words. The Catholic Church makes, a, makes its entire business out of people who do not know the Bible. Anyone that knows their Bible, that reads their Bible, and then actually looks intelligently at what the Catholic Church is saying and doing cannot stay part of the Catholic Church. 
It is impossible because it is a seedbed of blasphemy and heresy. But if you don't know your Bible, you're going to say, I don't think the Catholics are that bad. They've got a cross. They say the name Jesus. I even met a Catholic priest who said, you must be born again. So they really must not be all that bad. They even let us come in and preach at their Sunday school. The problem is you don't know your Bible and you're eating rat. If you knew your Bible, you would understand that the Catholic Church and what they say is not, and you look at it with any kind of intelligence and any kind of carefulness at all, you can see that they are defying the Word of God with everything that they do. Just because somebody says the sky is purple, are you going to believe them? They say, oh, hey. I believe in the sky. And you say, oh, goody, I believe in the sky, too. They say, yeah, uh, I just love that purple sky. And you go, huh, they think the sky's purple. But at least we believe in the sky, so we're together on that one. No, you're not together. You've got different skies. One of you might be colorblind, but you've got two different skies, and you've got two different guys, and they think they agree, and they don't at all. Not at all. Now, there's the old story that goes around of the Arabs. There were four blind Arabs, and each of them grabbed an elephant. They all wanted to know what an elephant looked like. These were um, Arab beggars from the desert sands or something like that. I don't know how an elephant got down there. Maybe I got the story mixed up in this location. But anyway, the Arabs grab an elephant, and one of them grabs the ear and says, Wow, an elephant has a floppy ear. Or an elephant is floppy, he says, and flat. And the next one grabs the elephant's leg and says, an elephant's like a tree trunk. It's big and round and strong and very hard. And another one grabs the elephant's belly and says, wow, an elephant is a giant, huge rubber ball. And the other one grabs the elephant's trunk and says, wow, an elephant is like a snake. And people say, so over here are some Catholics, and they say this. And over here are some Christian church people, and they say, be baptized. And, and over here, say, and all these people, over here are some Baptists, over here are some Methodists, and we all serve the same God. And over here are some Muslims, and we just have different perspectives, and we've got all, all got a hold of the same God. Well, you wouldn't be saying that if you weren't blind. The reason that they could all grab a different part of that elephant and see and, and perceive different things is because they were blind. We're not called to blindness. Jesus Christ came to heal the blind, to give sight to the blind. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the express image of the Father. And if you come up with false doctrine about who Jesus is, you don't have the same Jesus. If you defy the word of God, you've got a different Christ, a different gospel. You have been beguiled. It's not a bunch of people who all have a hold of the same God. It's a bunch of blind folks who have a hold of different devils who are all telling them that they're Jesus. Oh, God help us today. I remember the story of the people up in the mountains of Himalayas who were worshiping Jesus. They were just sure they were worshiping Jesus. No Christian had ever gotten there. But they were worshiping Jesus. They were worshiping Jesus, they said. They had parts of the Bible, but their Jesus was different from the Bible of the Jesus. Their Jesus of the Bible. And when the missionaries finally got there and preached Jesus to them, they were born again and radically changed. Their lives were changed. They found the real Jesus. Maybe I'll tell the rest of that story another time. It's an amazing story. So much detail. We don't have time for it today. So what happens when people are on a rat diet 
and they're spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They're blind, and they've got a hold of something spiritual. But they cannot perceive the difference between their spiritual understanding, their spiritual riches, wisdom, and knowledge, and the spiritual wisdom and knowledge of the Bible. They can't discern between it. The next thing that happens is there's a beguiling of the, re- of the reward of others, which we're warned about in 18. There's a voluntary humility, a worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up with the f- his fleshly mind. And what is the key here? Not holding the head. Not holding the head. Now, I recently got a piece of metal in my eye at work, and I was hurting, and I couldn't look around, and I got an idea, did a little game with my kids, and I had them each come around. I had my eyes shut, and I had each one put their head under my hand, and I had to try and guess which kid it was. Well, they put their head under my hand. Well, let me tell you something. If you start with just the head, you'll get the rest of it right. And if you start in the gospel with the head, Jesus Christ, you're going to get the rest of that right. I was surprised. I was able to guess them all right except the one that cheated. The one that cheated and put stuff on his head like Jacob put stuff on to pretend like he was Esau. And that one I misguessed. But the rest of them I got right. I was surprised I could do that. I was, I was pretty shocked at how absolutely obvious it was which kid was which according to their head. And let me tell you something. If you will get the head right, you will get Christianity right. If you get Jesus Christ right, if you get your eyes on Jesus Christ and get submitted to Jesus Christ and get under his authority and get your eyes off this world and off the other teachers and off all the other information, stop trying to learn doctrine and just find Christ. And if you get under Christ, then the rest of it will follow. But you've got to be under the head. Now, if you grab a hold of a leg and say, I've got Jesus, you might, but you might not. And you won't know until you get to the head. Now, he says here, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So here you are on a rat diet, and you don't have the head Jesus Christ as your Lord. And here comes a man that brings, tells you that you need to keep the law to be saved. Here comes a man that tells you you need to come to our church, you need to pray the sinner's prayer, and you need to join the bus ministry and start preaching the gospel. And then, and that's a proof that you're saved. And you get all these men with all their rules. And all of their doctrines and all of their commandments, which things, it says in verse 23, have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. But you don't get hold of the head. You don't get hold of Christ. You can live your whole life working a bus route for Christ and never know Christ. You can work your whole life in a Christian school teaching children Bible verses and not know Christ. Is Christ your head today? Look at chapter 3. He says, if, then, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, I, I thank God for the man that goes, uh, goes by the name of Bill Gothard, and many good things that God used that man for. Many people worshipped Bill Gothard. 
and they got a hold of Bill Gothard and they grabbed onto him and said, oh, we've got Christ. And they started living by the recommendations that he recommended. Now, if you want to say that Bill Gothard went out and preached a bunch of law, I don't think you ever actually listened to Bill Gothard myself. And I'm not saying that to exalt the man. I thank God for him, though, and I thank God for a lot of the good that came out of his life. But what most likely happened to you was you grabbed Bill Gothard's leg, and you got a hold of Bill Gothard's papers and some of Bill Gothard's writings, and you never got under the head. You never submitted yourself to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And this happens with preachers. People will show up over at a church, and they'll grab a hold of the preacher's leg and say, I found him. I found him whom my soul loveth. I held him, and I would not let him go. I'm your man, preacher, and I'm with you to hell or high water. And they stick with that preacher, but they never get a hold of the head. They never get a hold of the head. So they cannot discern when the preacher blows it and misses the context and preaches the doctrine of men one Sunday and they pick it up and suck it up and make it part of their life and then whenever they it blows out, it doesn't work out because they had no spiritual discernment. They were not rooted and grounded and established as they had been taught in the faith of Jesus Christ. They had not ever found the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Their faith was in men and in doctrines of men and they blow out whenever it doesn't work out and then they blame the man and they come back and say it's the man's fault sometimes it is the man's fault sometimes it's your own fault I'm sorry to be the one to give you the bad news but a lot of times it's just your own fault you put your faith in a man Your faith was not in the word of God. Your hope and your establishment of your faith was not in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were not truly converted, maybe. Maybe you just had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. You did not have the head, Jesus Christ. You never were dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. So whenever you saw a preacher who maybe he was even a saved preacher, and he preached and said, women ought to dress like women and men ought to dress like men. So you put your wife in a dress and you said all right she's not wearing men's pants anymore and you started following all these things and you followed them as rules and the preacher may not have ever even intended them as rules but you took them as rules because you are not dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world all you really know is taste not touch not handle not all you really know is rules Some of you out there think that we're off on the deep end because you found true liberty in Christ and your preacher that you grabbed onto wears skinny jeans and he drinks Bud Light from the pulpit and tells you you have liberty in Christ and you've modeled your life after that preacher. Some of you out there have grabbed onto Steve Jobs with both hands. Oh, and now that he's died, boy, has he been immortalized. And we have a whole geek culture that holds on to Steve Jobs. They want to act like Steve Jobs, dress like Steve Jobs, do their hair like Steve Jobs. Oh, my, have we got this going on. We've got followers of men everywhere. People follow Gandhi. People follow Martin Luther King Jr. People follow all kinds of people. Barack Obama. I just was in the hospital the other day, and I could hear the Today Show, and some little girl said, I just want to meet this lady. I think she said Savannah. I don't even know. She said, I've been watching her since I was a baby, and now I'm 10, and my mother carried me in the womb while I was on the show. Holy smoke, I about threw up. She's, her whole life is, is ate up following this woman. 
And listen, we can get this way. This is the rudiments of the world. We follow people. Everybody thinks they're doing their own thing, and you're not. People follow people like a bunch of lemmings. And then we act like we're so unique and so super spiritual and so different from everybody else, and we're just people. You're just a person. I'm just a person. And we all get on our little bandwagons, on our little kicks, and we grab a hold of somebody and follow that person come hell or high water. This is my man. I walked in a house on visitation last year, and the man said, Oh, you've got to see this Bible preacher. Come around here. And he turned on his big screen TV, and here's this great big preacher from Arkansas. And he's sitting there, and he's trying to expound on the Bible. And the Word of God says that Jesus said, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And that old Bible preacher sitting there with his big old double chin, and he, that doesn't make him holy or unholy, by the way, but he's sitting there and he says, I prefer the word wicked and idolatrous generation. That man doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know Christ or he wouldn't be correcting Christ. He's not holding Christ as the head. He is his own head. He's his own boss. He's his own authority. And here this man living in his house down here. Oh, I don't go to church because all the hypocrites. So he found one on TV to watch. And he's following a hypocrite on TV. I'm telling you, we get a hold of the rudiments of this world. The base drives to follow, to be accepted, to be part of culture, to be part of a society, to be part of a group. And then we start thinking we're unique. So we start doing things different from everybody that we see, only to find that there's a whole group of people who do things just like that somewhere else. I'm telling you, there's nothing new under the sun. The Bible says in Colossians 3, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Now, a lot of these guys will try to put you under the law, and they'll try to get you to follow the law. We talked about that in Leviticus 11, says speaks about the sanctification of the flesh, the separation of the clean and the unclean. And th but there's no provision in the law for sanctification of the heart. There is no provision in the law for sanctification of the heart. The prophet said to Israel, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Well, circumcising a foreskin is pretty easy in reality. Anybody could do it. Moses did it with a sharp rock. I know that's pretty rough, but anybody can do it. In fact, you can circumcise yourself. Any man can get circumcised. Anybody can even circumcise themselves. But what about circumcision of the heart? The prophet said, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And those Israelites, what did they do but throw up their hands? How do you circumcise your heart? The law has no provision for the circumcision of the heart. And there's a saying I believe is attributed to John Bunyan. He said this. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, run, John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Far greater news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. Now Christ here is saying, as you ever, or Paul through Christ and Christ through Paul is saying, 
to set your affection on things above. He's saying that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And now some people take this passage and say then that you are sanctified by default if you are saved, and therefore now you can live however you want to live, and that is a lie out of hell. And now they've just made all their own set of upside-down reprobate rules, and they're living according to the rudiments of this world, touch not, taste not, handle not. They just have a different set of touch not, taste not, handle not. One of them says, oh, you can, you can drink your home brew, but don't you touch crack or heroin. That stuff's wicked. And they've all got their own rules. Everybody's got rules. They've got rules somewhere. The most extreme of them will say, oh, man, peace, love, happiness, everything goes, man, until you take their liquor from them, try and steal their booze from them, and see how that flies. All of a sudden, they're going to have some rules, and they're going to want you to live by some rules. It'll come on real fast, I promise. You just try it. Now, the Bible says here, you are risen, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. This is not saying that we do not have any kind of true practical sanctification, but he's saying it must come from being under the head. True sanctification comes, it is almost synonymous with submission to Jesus Christ obedience to Jesus Christ and obedience to Christ is directly synonymous to obedience to the word of God the Bible if you do not obey the Bible you do not obey Christ the Bible says hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments he that saith I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and I believe it says and the truth is not in him now, here he goes on in verse 5 of chapter 3. Let's look at this for just a second. Paul just said, why are you subject to ordinances like taste not, touch not? And then the next thing he says in verse 5, look at it. Mortify, therefore, your members which are on the, on the earth. To mortify, think of the word mortician. It means to put to death. Put to death your members which are upon the earth. Listen to this. Fornication. That's touching. Uncleanness. That has to do with touching. Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So he says, mortify your members. Put away from you. Get away from fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Didn't Paul just say, touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all, all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men? Well, here's a bunch of rules. How did Paul jump the bandwagon? What happened, Paul? Did you just become a legalist? You were just preaching liberty in Christ. And now you just told me I can't have fornicative affairs? Come on, Paul. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now these things that he's speaking of then are not those things which he condemned following after before. Otherwise... Paul would be contradicting himself. He would be a flaming hypocrite, and this would not be the word of God. This would be the commandments and doctrines of men. So you've got a choice now. You can throw out Colossians 3, and if you're going to do that throughout the rest of Colossians, and if you're going to do that throughout the rest of at least what Paul said, 
or you have to try and figure out how to rightly divide the word of truth by comparing scripture with scripture, and that will lead you to a proper understanding of what Paul is teaching here. <coughs> so these wicked acts, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, God, Paul says that the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience because of these. And he says, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. So here he's saying that there's been a change in your life. And he's speaking again to the saints at Colossae, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. These have had a change. These no longer walk in fornication and uncleanness and inordinate affection and evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says in verse 8, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and having and have put on the new man, which is received in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Well, that's a big statement. Now, Lord willing, we'll study some of these verses in detail and be able to dig into some of these amazing statements here in the word of God in the near future. But he says here, where there is neither great Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Are you getting the theme yet? True sanctification is not in ordinances and doctrines and commandments of men. Taste not, touch not, handle not. True sanctification is obedience and submission to Christ as head and a heart that desires to follow Christ and obey his commandments. You say, what's the difference? I don't see the difference. That's because you've been eating rat and we're trying to eat steak today. And that's going to take some work. You're going to have to get in the word of God and pray and seek God's face and say, God, have I even been born again? I don't understand any of this stuff. This doesn't make sense. How come you make rules in one passage and say no rules in the other? And by the way, dear friends and dearly beloved who are here today with me in this room, whenever you come across something in the Bible that does not reconcile and you cannot figure out how this can be true and that can be true, it is a wicked sin to pick one of them and hold to it and throw the other one out. Martin Luther made that mistake and later repented of it, but he tore the book of James out of his Bible because he could not reconcile how James says that we're saved by works, and yet Ephesians says we're saved by grace, not of works, by faith, by grace through faith that is a gift of God, not of works. So he tore the book of James out of his Bible. Later, he repented of that and got himself the book of James back in his Bible, and God worked around that. And I thank God for Martin Luther and everything God did through him, but just because his name is Martin or Luther doesn't mean he was perfect. And that brings us right around to what we were talking about, about following men. You grab onto old Martin Luther, and you think you've got something now, and you become a follower of Martin Luther, and you're just another one of those with the rudiments of this world. You're following men and not Christ. Christ is not your head. And that goes for the whole Lutheran church, the whole denomination. And everybody that's part of the Lutheran church in a direct way is a follower of a man who they're actually not even following anymore. If Martin Luther showed up today, Day at your Lutheran church, he would about flog your pastor and he would preach, preach you guys straight into hell and hopefully right out of hell and into heaven. Because nothing that you're doing has anything to do with the gospel. You have departed from the faith. And some of you guys out there think I'm way too harsh. That's because you're eating rat. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read it. 
Obey it. Follow Jesus Christ. And then when you come across something and you look at it, look at it with understanding from the Word of God, and all of a sudden you'll be able to discern when something is right and when something's ribeye. And you'll say, this church says they follow Jesus, but they have nothing to do with Christ. You say, well, you know, you just know everything, don't you, Mr. Smart Alec Man, on the podcast? You're Mr. Know-it-all. No, I'm not. I just know him. And that's my only hope. Jesus is my Lord. He's my God. He's my Savior. I'm nowhere near perfect. And if you follow me, by the way, you're going to go off a ditch. And you won't be able to discern whenever I'm speaking something from my own heart or whenever I'm truly speaking something from the Word of God because you'll just be a mealy-mouthed man follower and you'll be right back in the rudiments of the world. I'm not perfect, but Jesus Christ is perfect. And if you follow Christ, there's some things you're going to see and you're going to be able to say, that is not Christ. If you know Christ, let me ask you a question. Please be honest with yourselves. All of you be honest here today. Let's say that you just got married. You got married to the love of your life. You waited years and years. You got married. You moved into the house together and your wonderful spouse went on a long trip and they're coming back home and you go to the airport to meet them. And let's say that's Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. And here they, go, here they come off the airplane, all these people coming off the airplane, and ten people put up a sign and say, I'm Mr. Wright. Do you think you would be able to tell which one was your spouse? Would you say, you're all my spouse? Or would you have a pretty good ability to pick him out or her out of the crowd? Come on. This isn't rocket science. If you love Christ, if Christ is your head, if you know Christ, if you follow Christ, if you've been risen with Christ, if you seek Christ, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, if you set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth, you will be able to tell the real Christ from the false Christ. Does that make you a know-it-all? No, it makes you a lover. And that's all I profess to be today, a lover of Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I love Him with all my heart and all my soul. And as much as within me by God's grace and by the help of God that I have obtained from God, I love Him with all my might. So help me, God, to walk that and to live that. Help it to be true in areas where I don't even maybe know it's not true. Help me, Lord, to just love you more today. And if you ever fall in love with Christ, you will take offense. As a lover takes offense when her love is blasphemed. When the newspaper comes out and says, uh, here's this lady and she married a man and he went off to war. And the newspaper comes out and says, Joe Wonderful. And she's Mrs. Wonderful and she married Joe Wonderful. It says, Joe Wonderful has betrayed his country and gone over to the other side. And she knows it's not true. Do you think she'd just be, oh, well, that's great. And if you believe that, you can believe what you want to believe. I'm happy with that. Sure, whatever. At least we all believe he exists, right? You might believe he betrayed his nation. I don't think he did, but at least we both believe in Joe Wonderful. So we'll probably end up in the same place, right? No! If you really love Joe Wonderful, Mrs. Wonderful, you'd stick up for him. And you'd say, that's not true. 
And a bunch of people get around the table at dinner and they're all saying how wicked your husband is and you know it's not true. You wouldn't sit there and eat with them. You'd stand up and say, that's not true. That's the wrong guy. Listen, that's all I'm talking about today. If you ever get the real Jesus, you'll stop calling them all Jesus. And you'll start to take offense when people blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you love Christ, he'll direct you to forgive those people who blaspheme them and love them and tell them the truth. But he will not direct you to have so-called fellowship with them in their lies. So here the Apostle Paul is talking about a practical, living, lovership, relationship with Jesus Christ that goes beyond ordinances, it goes beyond doctrines of men, it goes beyond following men, it goes beyond rule books, it goes beyond commentaries, but it never goes beyond the Word of God that He's given us in plain writing that we as the English people have in our King James authorized version by because this is his love letter to us now let's go back to mrs wonderful here she gets a letter in the mail and it says mrs wonderful comma edit 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 missing words i'm just so glad edit 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 missing words and i want to edit 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 missing words would she call that a good letter from joe wonderful Or would she be upset that somebody had tampered with her love letter and chopped it up? She'd be upset, and she would want to get the real letter, and she'd probably want to strangle whoever chopped up her love letter. And you call yourself a Christian, you say you love Jesus, and you let higher criticism and a bunch of so-called scholars and a bunch of shrinks chop up the Bible and feed you a mixed-up Bible, an edited Bible with deletions and additions to it, and you're okay with that. I don't even know how you can say you love him. Now, I know maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you've been beguiled, so I'm going to try and be as gentle as I can be. But if you really love him, you're going to find the real love letter. And he promised that he What kind of a lover never sends a letter to his bride? You want to tell me we don't have the preserved word of God today? Then you don't know the Jesus who I love. Because we do have a preserved word of God today. You say, what has that got to do with this? What are we studying if we're not studying the preserved word of God? Why are we here? Why are you listening to this podcast if you're out there somewhere? Maybe you're in Singapore and you're listening to this podcast. You don't think we have a real Bible. Why are you listening to me? What is the point? Are you serious? Why would you listen to somebody talk about the Bible if it's not a Bible? We're going to move on. So it says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. This is God's goal for us to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we're born again, that the new man is created in true righteousness and true holiness in the book of Titus. Now that means that the new man automatically does not want to touch, taste, or handle that which offends his Lord. He doesn't need the rule book. He's living under a higher law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He has new desires. He has new drives. Paul here is telling the church at Colossae, if you are, if ye then be risen with Christ, the the question mark here is the if. 
The only reason he even has to say what he says in the rest of chapter 3 is that two-letter word at the start, if. And so this is given as a benchmark that we can lay our life up against and say, am I risen with Christ? Because if I am, this is what I should look like. This is what I should be doing. Now, if you are doing these things to prove that you're risen with Christ, you missed it already. These things flow out of you if you are risen with Christ. That's what Paul's saying. If they're not flowing out of you, you're not risen with Christ. That's what it is. It's that simple. He goes on there, there's neither Greek nor Jew in what? We'll study this out better. Circumcision nor uncircumcision. Is he saying there's no Jews left on the face of the earth? That would be ridiculous. He's already told us otherwise in a previous epistle. But if you look at that in the context, in him, in him, in Christ, in, in Christ, this new man, the new creature is neither a Jew or a Greek. The new creature is not a barbarian or a Scythian. He's neither a bond nor a free. He's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. The new creature is in Christ, and Christ is all and in all. So he says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God. There's election right there. Don't like it. I'm sorry. It's in the Bible. Holy and beloved. Now, just because it's in the Bible, don't you go run into everybody that puts hashtag election and believe everything they say. Go to your Bible for what election means and don't add to it or take away from it. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. It does not say put on love. It says put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Look at how he sums this up, that the peace of God must rule. Again, this is all based on submission to Christ. Christ as the head. We'll touch something real quick. It's popular to say where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. So if I go fishing with my buddies on Sunday, we're having church because there's Jesus in the midst. Just because you are a group of people that puts a bumper sticker of Jesus on your fishing boat doesn't mean that you're a church. And just because you're sitting at home listening to podcasts or sermons, or just because you get together with your family in your home church, it doesn't mean that you're a church. You can say Jesus all you want, but when you gather in the name of Jesus, the practical reality of what that means is that you are under the headship and the authority of Jesus Christ. You think, I, you think I'm just adding to the Bible. I'm sorry, but listen to me. If you show up at the White House and you say today, right now, Joe Biden's up there acting as president. <clears throat> Words chosen purposely. He's up there and he's acting as president. And you show up and say, I'm here in the name of Joe Biden. They're not going to believe you unless you can prove it. And you're only going to be able to pro prove it if you're following Joe Biden's orders and have credentials from Joe Biden. Now, you want to tell me you're under Christ and that you're in your little church group and you're meeting in your little home church. You're not going to church anywhere, you're, but you're under Christ where two or three are gathered. If you're not under Christ, you're not submitted to Christ, then you're not a church. 
And to be submitted to Christ, you have to be obedient to the word of God that says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. You're going to have to obey the word of God that says that the elders were to be ordained in every city. In each of these churches, there were to be elders ordained. You better have a God-ordained pastorate. You better have a God-ordained leadership in your church or you're not a church, period. End of story. Now, you can have a fake leadership. That doesn't make you a church either. Again, what makes you a church? What makes you under Christ is your submission to the word of God. If you are living in rebellion to the word of God, you are living in rebellion to Christ. And if you are living in rebellion to Christ, then the evidence is that you are a lost sinner on your way to a hellfire for eternity. I know Christians can get crossed up, but boy, God chastens every son of his whom he loves. We'll have to study that out another day, but God won't let a Christian live long in rebellion to his word. He'll bust them. He will bust them. And if you go on living in rebellion to God's word and God doesn't bust you, you ain't his child. He don't let his kids roll around on the floor in Walmart screaming. God disciplines his children. He chastens every son of his whom he loves. Now, moving back on here, Christ is all and in all. We have things that have a show of wisdom there in chapter 2, verse 23. In will, worship, and humility, and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. You can do all kinds of things to look spiritual. You can fast for 72 days like I have read people testify that they have done. I'm not telling you they did it. I'm just saying they said they did. And then they received some kind of double portion of the Holy Ghost. They fasted for all these days. And then their life was an absolute train wreck of rebellion to the word of God as they lived out a life in obedience to the supposed spirit of God. I'm telling you today, they got beguiled. They're not under the head. They're not under the authority of Christ. They had a degree of will wisdom. They had a show of wisdom, will worship, humility, neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh, but they're not risen with Christ. They're not under the authority of Christ. They're not obedient to Jesus Christ. So our text here in chapter 3 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Jesus Christ must be on the throne of the believer. The moment a man gets saved, Christ begins to take total authority of that man's life. If he resists, Christ breaks and breaks and breaks and breaks him until he stops resisting and until Christ is on the throne. And if that does not happen, that man is not saved, was not saved, and will not be saved at the day of judgment. Verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So the peace of God must rule in your hearts. And the only way that will happen is if the word of Christ dwells in you richly in all wisdom. He says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And we're going to hit some good stuff here coming up next. Oh, my word, I can already see smoke coming out of some of y'all's ears with what we're going to read next. Let's just get a preview. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Boom, there go the circuits. God said it. You don't obey it. You're rebelling to Christ. Yeah, I know it says more. We'll study that when we get there. Let's back up here. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Does that mean I wear a cross necklace, a rubber band bracelet that has a Bible verse? I get a Bible verse tattoo. I paint the word Jesus on my taxi car down in Haiti. And they do. <coughs> you won't. You can't run a taxi business in Haiti if you don't have the name Jesus written all over it. People won't even ride. They think they might die if they don't have the name Jesus written on there. To them, it's a superstition. To many of them, I should say, it's a superstition. The name of Jesus, what it says here, do all in the name of Jesus means to do it with the credentials and the authority and the documentation that it is God's will and to do it with assurance and confidence and openness that you are doing it as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ under his authority. That's what it means to do it in the name of Jesus Christ. It is not some flippant Tag the name Jesus on my business. So I'm going to put my little fish or my cross on my business, get more customers. I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean winning the surfing competition in the name of Jesus. It doesn't mean winning a football game and taking a knee and pointing at the, at the sky and saying, oh, there's Jesus up there, and I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. That's a bunch of stinking hogwash. It's the rudiments of this world is what it is. It's a bunch of outward show that has no internal submission. To do it in the name of Jesus means to be submitted to and operating under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, Jesus Christ gave authority to his church, his true church. And if you are operating out from under the authority of the true church of Jesus Christ or against in any way the true church of Jesus Christ, you are against Christ. And you are operating out from under him. And everything that you do when you say you are under his name and in the name of the Lord Jesus is fake. Even when you say, in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Your prayers themselves will become an abomination to God if you are not submitted to the word of God. The word says the prayer of a wicked man is an abomination to God. And you think you're going to follow Jesus because you put the Jesus name on your CD cover. But your CD is full of the rudiments of this world and it's not in submission to the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. You're in rebellion to God. Boy, it's been good today. Getting a bigger picture look here as we get into Colossians chapter 3. We're going to try, Lord willing, to dig a little deeper into all this. We've got husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents. Wow. In all things, you cannot be submitted to Christ if you are disobedient to your parents' children. You cannot be in submission to Christ, husbands, if you are angry and bitter against your wives and do not love them. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Again, as to the Lord means under his authority. It doesn't mean that you're going to go play your basketball game and say, all right, boys, we're doing it for Jesus. That's just a bunch of rot. That's rat. If you're doing it heartily as to the Lord, then whatever you're doing is under submission as an offering of a submissive servant of God to his master. And there's no other way you can do it as unto the Lord. He says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. 
Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Boy, this gets into practical ministry, the outflow of a submissive life to Christ. He says that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. And now I'll, I pray God will help me to be obedient and submission with my voice, with my lips, and to let my speech be always with grace. It says here, all my state shall Tychicus declare unto you who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister. It goes on with the closing remarks, and that's where we're going to end today. Praise God for his precious word.